Today, my brothers and sisters, I'd like to speak about love. We can see that as a theme here in our gospel texts. In particular, I'd like to speak about love in the context of marriage. In our gospel, Christ says, As I have loved you, so you also should love one another. And in our second reading, St. John speaks of the church, which he calls the New Jerusalem, and he says that it's a bride adorned for her husband, the husband being Christ. As we know, there's a profound analogy between Christ and the church on the one hand and a husband and wife on the other. So if, within the context of marriage, we are to love as Christ loves, all we need to do is to look at what Christ did for the church, and that's going to be our model. So what did Christ do for the church? This will be the key point of the homily. Before talking and teaching, he showed his love for us by identifying with our condition. This is what we call the Incarnation. God became one of us. He entered into our experience. He took upon himself our darkness and sin and suffering. That act of identification with us was the foundation of his mission, the foundation of his mission of love. And it's from that foundation that he could speak and teach and we could hear. So let's apply this to our marital relationships. I've recently finished a book called How to Improve Your Marriage Without Talking About It. The authors are uh, Patricia Love and Stephen Stosny. I think we can gather from this book insights that resonate very deeply with what we already know from our Christian faith. Here's the premise of the book. On the basis of their research and clinical experience, the authors hold that Contrary to the methods of many uh, marriage and family counselors, working on improving verbal communication between spouses is not always helpful and can even sometimes make things worse. Why? Well, the thesis here, and it's something that I find plausible, is that women and men have different psychological vulnerabilities. Women have as a root vulnerability fear. Fear of isolation, fear of loneliness, social deprivation. For men, on the other hand, the root vulnerability is shame. The feeling that they're inadequate, unsuccessful, a loser, that they aren't living up to their duties as a man, or that they don't measure up to their image of masculinity. So fear and shame. What happens in a distressed relationship is that there is an emotional disconnect between the spouses. That's the fundamental issue, is an emotional disconnect. The wife is more sensitive to this disconnect, and so she'll normally be the one who will want to talk about it. That's usually the last thing the husband wants to do. The five words the husband dreads most are, Honey, we need to talk. When he hears that, he's like, oh no. His shame starts to kick in. He thinks to himself, I'm in trouble. I'm doing something wrong. I'm not good enough. I can't ever please her. Women want to talk about the relationship because they're upset and they want to feel better. Men don't want to talk because talking won't make them feel better. It'll only activate their feelings of shame. 
So you see the vicious circle here. The root problem, though, behind all of this is that there is a fundamental emotional disconnection between the two. And it's not going to be solved by talking about it. How should it be dealt with then? Well, the answer is not talking, but what the authors say or call tuning in, emotional attunement. This brings us back to what Christ did for us in the Incarnation. Just as Christ, before talking, first entered into our experience and identified with our darkness and suffering, so also spouses, without having to talk about it, need to enter into each other's emotional worlds. Here's a concrete example. Brad felt too exhausted to let his wife Chrissy know that he'd come home from work. When Chrissy found Brad in the den sprawled out on the sofa, she felt a bit offended that he hadn't sought her out to say hello. Her first instinct was to tell him how important it was to communicate appropriately and to have some common courtesy, and so on. Instead of following that instinct, though, she tried something else. She sat down beside Brad, with her shoulders barely touching his. She adjusted her breathing to his. She felt his exhaustion. After about three minutes of silence, she started rubbing his back, which he let her do for a while before, much to her surprise, he started rubbing hers. I really needed that, he said. How was your day? He said. That's right. He asked her how her day was. That's the kind of thing that happens when there's an emotional connection at root. Again, going beyond words and talking, sometimes this emotional connection can be established through something as simple as making eye contact. To make eye contact is to enter into the world of another person. Here's a quote from Pope Francis's recent exhortation, Amoris Laetitia, a document that focuses on love within marriage, something I'll probably preach on in the future here, maybe two or three even homilies. Pope Francis says, A look of appreciation has enormous importance, and to begrudge it is usually hurtful. Much hurt and many problems result when we stop looking at each other. This lies behind the complaints and grievances we often hear in families. My husband does not look at me. He acts as if I were invisible. Please look at me when I'm talking to you. My wife no longer looks at me. She only has eyes for our children. In my own home, nobody cares about me. They don't even see me. It's as if I don't even exist. Here's another example of nonverbal contact, another way of establishing this fundamental emotional uh, substratum that needs to be in place for uh, a relationship, a marital relationship. Hugging. Hug your partner. This might happen once or twice a day for many couples. For some, it doesn't happen much at all. Now, believe it or not, there's been scientific studies done on hugging. And what the authors recommend on the basis of these scientific studies is that a hug should last six seconds, at least. Six seconds. At first, it might seem a little forced and artificial. For the first second, uh, for the second one, for the third. But by the fourth second, and going into the fifth and the sixth, Serotonin, a chemical in our brain that relieves anxiety, starts to kick in. So there's a kind of a lapse. That physical contact, it takes a little bit of time 
for the brain chemistry to actually set in. So the authors recommend a six-second hug six times a day. Okay, remember that. Here's a final example of entering into the emotional experience of your spouse. This is a story of Kevin and Rosa. Rosa had a best friend named Camille. They had been friends since high school. Together, they went through marriage, raising kids, changing jobs, you name it. The year they turned 50, they even joined the Red Hat Society together, which I had to Google that. I didn't know what the Red Hat Society is. I guess it's an association for women who are over 50 years old. Well, eventually Camille died and Rosa was devastated. Rosa's husband, Kevin, stood by her in her grief. Ten months after, though, uh, Camille's death, uh, with Thanksgiving on the horizon, the loss felt even greater to Rosa. Because Rosa and Camille had always made tamales together on Thanksgiving. Rosa struggled with the decision whether or not to make the tamales this year, and finally decided that she would. But when she woke on Thanksgiving morning, she didn't know how she could get through the day. Pulling on her bathrobe, she shuffled to the kitchen to begin making the tamales all alone. But as soon as she entered the kitchen, she realized she was not alone. There on the counter, where Kevin, her husband, had carefully placed them, were all the ingredients for tamales. Cornmeal, eggs, chilies, corn husks, plus the red hat. We see here one spouse being aware of the emotional state of the other. And not by talking, but just by making a simple act. The husband showed the wife that he was in tune with her suffering and loneliness, that he was with her, and that she was not alone. And oftentimes, when out of love you enter into the world of your spouse's negative emotions, you don't have to be there forever or be afraid of being swallowed up in this negativity. You both walk out of it together. And that's precisely what Christ did for us. He entered into the world of our darkness and sin and suffering. And together, with him, we walked out of it. 